0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell. Going to talk about something that is getting more and more prevalent here as the years roll on in NASCAR and how NASCAR can no longer say it is most, it is the most competitive motorsport in the country or in, even in the world. It's got a lot to do with a lot of things, and I'm going to discuss a lot of issues, but it starts with today's announcement from Young's Motorsports. If you haven't heard yet, if you're not fully up to speed, and you've been away from your laptop or away from your phone because it's New Year's Eve, it's New Year's, it's the holidays, you just want to relax. Let me get you up to speed. This afternoon on on December thirty first, Chris Wright was announced as a driver of Young's Motorsports number zero two Chevrolet in what will be next year the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Now, that team has run full-time in the truck series. And in the truck series, it's not like Cup where they have a charter and all that. But Chris Wright is an interesting kid to begin with. He's 25 years old. He's got very little experience in stock cars, very little experience in major racing as it is. He's run a sports car race. He's run a couple of uh, cars, super late model races, Run a handful of ARCA races, and now he's going to run full-time in, the cup, in a truck series next season. Now, a lot of people I've seen on Reddit and on Twitter have sort of questioned this move, saying, what are they thinking? Well, I kind of have an idea of what they're thinking. Young's Motorsports is a good operation. They have, They do well for what they have. But ultimately, what they need to be successful and to be competitive is money. And Wright brings that. I'm sure he has some partners that can run full-time in a truck series next year. The problem with this hire, had this been a normal year, would be whether or not Wright could keep his owner points in the performance of that number 02 Chevrolet high enough To keep making races. However. In 2021. We're going to see what we saw. In 2020. Now maybe not at Daytona. Maybe not the first couple of races of the year. But the majority of the truck series races. Aren't going to have qualifying. And they're going to rely on a system of. Full-time teams. and, And. Where they are in owner points. For the entire year. So my guess is they're going to do something where the first two or three races, they're going to qualify, let teams sort of f- fizzle themselves out, and see what they got after that, after first two or three races. Figure out what they got, and then those teams that are in the top 36 or top 30 or top 35, however they want to do it, and older points are going to be locked in every race, and they might have a couple of other spots in the field for t- for the rest of the teams, but those full-time teams are going to be locked in every race for the rest of the year. I think Young's Motorsports knows exactly what's going on. I think they know, hey, we got a kid who doesn't have a lot of experience, but even if he runs poorly, we're still going to make races. Our sponsors will still be happy because we're still going to be in the races. It doesn't matter how well we run because we're still making races. And that to me is... I think, a problem. And part of the problem of why we can't call NASCAR the most competitive motorsport in the world no longer. And it's not just the truck series this is happening. This is happening in the Cup Series as well. Let me explain something to you. Now, if you're a casual race fan, you've heard the word, I'm sure, charter in the Cup Series. Basically, what a charter is, is a guaranteed starting spot into every race. doesn't matter how you run. It doesn't matter how you perform. If you have a charter or if you bought a charter and there's only 36 of them, you get to run every single cup race no matter what as a team. You could finish dead last every race and still make every single race. What's interesting is, look at the Denny Hamlin Michael Jordan team, twenty three eleven racing. Previously, before the charter system, they would have had to either acquire owner points or race their way into the Daytona Five Hundred in the first three or four races of the year to establish themselves in the Cup Series and get enough owner points. To where they can feel comfortable enough to make races. They'd have to be competitive. That's no longer the case. They bought Jermaine Racing's number 13 from last season, from 2020. They bought their charter. So, them buying a charter locks them into every single race. The biggest flaw with the charter system is there's no incentive to run well. Derek Cope... The general manager of Starcom Racing, team manager at Starcom Racing is actually his title, he was on Talking in Circles about a month ago. He explained that there is a rule that NASCAR has that if a team finishes in the bottom three charters for three consecutive years, NASCAR has the right to take the charter away from them. But he also hinted, basically, that NASCAR wouldn't do that. Now, there's ways around this. You can lease a charter. You can say, okay, I'm not this charter that I have this year. I'm going to lease it to a more competitive team so I don't finish in the bottom three, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can, quote-unquote, sell your charter to whoever you want. So... Let's say Starcom Racing finishes in the bottom three. And they're going to say, you know what? We're getting close to the bottom three. Let's sell our charter to Derek Cope and call ourselves Derek Cope Racing and still be the same team. I don't think there's anything that NASCAR can do about that. So there's ways around this. And to me, that's a major problem. Because what it's done is it's created a less competitive field than ever before. Let me give you an examples of why that is and examples of... How somebody struggled and why that's a good thing for the sport. I'm going to bring him all the way back to 1995 because I think this example is tremendous. So if you weren't around for 1995, which a lot of us weren't. I was six years old. But Steve Kinzer, who everybody who's familiar with racing should know who Steve Kinzer is. A World of Outlaw champion. He's a tremendous dirt racer. A superstar in the dirt ranks. Well, in 1995, he got this cre- clever idea. I think it came from uh, Quaker State, the sponsor of his dirt racing team, to go to the Cup Series full-time. He was going to run Winston Cup every single race. And listen, Kinzer's a heck of a race car driver, but it was a certainly a, a move that made you scratch your head a little bit because he didn't have a ton of Cup Series experience. He didn't have a cup, ton of... Stock car experience. He didn't really run in the Series at all. He came strictly from dirt to asphalt and was going against guys who had been running on asphalt for 20 or 30 years. And needless to say, it was an absolute disaster. To put it as, com- as completely honest as I possibly can put it, it was a disaster. Kenzer ran the first five races for the number 26. He was going to run for King Racing, which was owned by Kenny- the dragster racer Kenny Bernstein. That team was a very competitive team. I think they started in the mid-80s. Joe Ruttman ran there. Ricky Rudd ran there. And Brett Podine did pretty well there as well. They were a pretty competitive team. They won some races. So it wasn't like he was going to a, a small operation that was just starting that um, wasn't familiar with, with NASCAR racing, didn't have any notes. They were an established race team and a pretty good race team. So he makes it on us based on his owner points. Crashes in that race. Finishes 40th. Goes to Rockingham. 27th. Goes to Richmond. 28th. Goes to Atlanta. 41st. And then blows a motor at Darlington. And finishes 40th. So what that does. Is it puts the number 26 Ford at that point. In a really vulnerable spot. Now they were going to miss races. If he didn't step it up. And his qualifying performance was not good. Now. Daytona's a little bit of an outlier because you have the qualifying races and all that kind of stuff. But he started 42nd at Daytona, 39th at Rockingham, 36th at Richmond, 23rd at Atlanta, which isn't too bad, and 32nd at Darlington. But there's no question he needed to improve the performance of that team if he wanted to stick around and not miss races. Well, sure enough, Bristol did not qualify. North Wilkesboro. Did not qualify. And that was the end of Steve Kinzer's run in the Cup Series. That team fell out of graces with, with owner points. They were not in good shape. And they decided after seven races, where Kinzer was going to run all 30 of them, 31 races, that it's time it's time to go. It's time to move on from Steve Kinzer. They hire a veteran named Hut Strickland, who, if you weren't familiar, if you're not familiar with Hut Strickland, Had a really good start to his career. He ran for Bobby Allison, which was his father-in-law, but he he ran really good in 91 in that car. Uh, Ran for Junior Johnson. He also ran for um, in 94. It was Travis Carter's team, but that was like a subsidiary team of Junior Johnson. It ran out of their shop in 94. So he had some experience with pretty good race teams. Um, They hired Hutt Strickland, and Hutt did a great job. Never missed a race. Actually had – a string of three consecutive top 10 finishes. He did great in that car and made it very very competitive. Uh and it was just a driver change. That's the only thing they made. Now now Richard Broom was the crew chief there who would, previously before working at King Racing, he was with Richard uh with Rick Hendrick, with Hendrick Motorsports, Richard Broom. So it wasn't like they had some slouch there who couldn't get the job done. They were a very competitive team. But what that did was It made competition matter. It made performance matter. It gave NASCAR legitimacy to say, listen, you can come here, and yeah, you might have all the money in the world, you might have a big-time sponsor, you might have a big-time name in Steve Kinzer, but you still have to be competitive. You still have to perform. Because we are a sport that is the most competitive motorsport in the world, and You have to perform to stay here. A couple other examples of that: 2008. I remember this vividly because I was 19 years old. Open Wheelers Patrick Carpentier and Dario Franchitti were coming to NASCAR. Carpentier is going to drive for a a, an established race team at Gillette Aranham Motorsports. Now, to his credit. I'm not sure they were in the top 35. They had a really tough year the year before. So while it was a competitive team, had a full funding and, and sponsorship from Vaveline, sponsorship from LifeLock at that point, Charter Communications was a part of that team. They were a pretty good team. Carpentier struggled, missed three of the first five races, but missed Bristol. Never finished better than 14th at Daytona in July, but other than that, never finished higher than really uh, the top 20 he had a couple of top 20 runs in that car, but he wasn't very competitive. And and really, if, if you remember that the final straw for Carpentier in that car was when he was at Talladega and he missed the show, but the crew chief of that team was Mike Shiplett. Who's currently the crew chief of uh, the number 41 car for Stuart Haas racing and Cole Custer and Carpentier had so much limited experience in stock cars and st- you know, anybody who remembers how qualifying is done at Daytona and Talladega, usually the first lap is run on the high side, so they can wound up the engine, get as much speed as possible. So for lap two, you could be as fast as possible. That's how it used to be done, at least back in those days. It was pretty standard procedure. If you're not a, a big race fan, that's what you know. One, qualifying 101. It was the first thing they told you: go high make the racetrack as big as possible, as long as possible, wind up your car, get as much speed as you possibly can, because with the restricted plate engines, it takes a while for the speed to build up in the race car. So Carpentier does that on the first lap, makes it as wide as possible, but on lap two, he decides to do that again. It doesn't run the bottom, it misses the race completely, and Shiplet, from what I remember, was not happy about it. And basically they made a driver change a week later. And AJ Allmendinger got into that car. Who AJ hadn't had a ton of success in NASCAR at that point. He got in that car and was very, very competitive. Um, and again, that was just proof again that you had to be competitive and be smart. And and if not, you were gone. Dario Franchini the same way. Now Dario came with a team that was fully funded. They had... Target on that car. They had a bunch of other sponsors on that car. Number 40 team. They were locked into the top 35 in owner points. So he was in a pretty competitive race team. That team, five, three, four years ago before that, was competing for a championship and Cup. 33rd at Daytona. 32nd at Fontana. 33rd, 33rd, 36 22nd, 32nd. He missed Texas before that. He broke his leg at Talladega which in a bush race, an Xfinity race, excuse me, at Talladega, which really derailed his season. But he wasn't very competitive before that. They started missing races. The team wasn't very good. They hired Kenny Schrader at one time to try and get him in races. They hired uh, Sterling Marlin, who drove that car four or five years prior when they were very, very competitive. They tried to hire him back in that car. And it ended up being a little bit of a disaster for this organization. I think they ended up shutting that team down. But again... It was more proof that if you weren't competitive and you – it doesn't matter what kind of success you had. Dario had a ton of success and he went back to IndyCar, won an Indy 500, got into a terrible wreck a few years later and and really ended his career. But he – Dario Franchitti was a big-time driver, big-time, big-time name. It just showed you you couldn't carry that if you weren't competitive, if you didn't perform. Sam Hornish Jr., the same thing. Now, Sam, I didn't include in this because Sam Hornish Jr. had decent success. His team never fell out of the top 35. They weren't missing races, but Sam was the same way. Sam struggled his first couple of years in NASCAR. He ended up coming back, driving the nine, which I think he regrets. It wasn't a very good deal. Um, But he had some decent success in the Xfinity Series at one point. So Sam's a little bit of an outlier here. But he was a guy who, of all three, of Franchini, Carpentier, and Sam Hornish Jr., Sam Hornish was far and away the bigger name. Sam was a I, iconic IndyCar driver. Dario was very good too. And again, it just showed you. It doesn't matter if you're Dario Franchini, Steve Kinzer, Sam Hornish Jr., or Patrick Carpentier, you had to perform. That is what ultimately decided your fate. In NASCAR. Yet, here we are in 2020, going into the 2021 season. That is no longer the case. As I said earlier about the Young's Motorsports hire, they can run as bad as they want all year, and they're probably going to make every race because of how everything's going to shake out with that here in 2021. Now, in 2022, I think uh, qualifying can come back. With this new car, they're going to practice with this new car for Cup. I'm not sure that's the case for trucks. So this could very well be the case moving forward. But for Cup, they have charters that lock 36 cars into the field. We've seen teams, Starcom Racing, one of them, hire a driver with very little experience, might not be as competitive, but bring some funding, bring some money, and they can run as poorly as they want. They can struggle as much as they want. And it doesn't matter. You want to know why people like Landon Castle are out of a ride? Because Landon Castle doesn't bring money. It's not that he's not talented. Landon Castle is talented. If if competitive in the back end of the field, competitiveness in the back end of the field mattered, Landon Castle would have a ride. No doubt. Because he did a damn good job in that double zero car. Look at the, what the double zero car was in 2019 compared to what it was in 2020. Just just Look at the numbers. I think they scored 150 to 200 more points with Landon Castle on it than they did with, with Quinn Half. But again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's no repercussions of how they perform. The back end of the field used to be very competitive. Now we got Rick Ware Racing. God bless them. But they got four cars, none of them are going to finish. In the top 30 in owner points next year. And he could put whoever he wants. In those cars. There's talk. Listen, Rick Ware Racing, there's talk. And I don't know if you've heard the rumors. Of a former Daytona 500 champion. Running the Daytona 500 next year. Think of the options. That are going to be running this. That could be running this race next year. Michael Waltrip. Who's won twice. The Daytona 500. But he hasn't run a Cup Series race in a couple of years. That's an option. Derek Cope who hasn't won a cup race in a couple of years. Jeff Bodine was a name that floated around in my in my brain. Maybe Jeff Bodine, a former 1986 Daytona 500 champion. So they're going to go to Daytona with a driver. If they hire Cope, it's going to be probably one of the two or three oldest drivers to ever run in the Daytona 500. If they hire Michael Waltrip, it's going to be a guy who hasn't run in in a long time hasn't been competitive in a long time and or Jeffrey Bodine who hasn't run NASCAR in a decade hasn't run a cup in a decade and is now I think he's almost 70 in his 70s now who by far and away be the oldest driver in the field ever in a Daytona 500 so while that might be a cool story to people like me who grew up with watching Cope or Waltrip or, or even Jeff Bodine, that's a problem. And I'm all for if somebody wants to come down and field an entry and they say, listen, I'm going to put Jeff Bodine in my car. I'll be like, great. Go qualify into the race. And if they went out there and they did everything they could and they went out and turned a fast lap or raced their way into the field, great. Nothing you can do about it. They earned their way into the field. That should be how it is. Brian Kislowski. A few years ago, probably a decade now, had a team that was an Xfinity Series team, brought up the cup. They weren't very competitive. They had no chance at making the race on their speed, making the Daytona 500 on their speed. Brad was in the same duel. whose brother Brad was in the same duel as him, dropped back and helped push the 92 of Brian Kozlowski into the Daytona 500. It worked. It was maybe a little bit of a loophole, but I could swallow that a little better because they raced their way in. That was back with the tandem drafting, and you could push people. It really didn't matter how fast the front car was. It mattered how fast the pushing car was. So Brad at Team Penske went back and helped push his brother Brian into the field and his family run operation into the field, which was a great story. I think some people might have a problem with that because, well, we want to get the most competitive cars. But again, that was a loophole, and I can live with it because they ran their way into the field. That's no longer the case, and that's a major, major, major problem in my opinion because what you're do- doing is you're diluting the back end of the field. And how much more can we take where we're going to sit there and you're going to say, oh, we need a lot of owners in this sport that you have to pay to be here. But you know what? I put so much money into my charter. Now I'm going to go hire Joe Smo from Idaho, put him in my cup car because he brings $5 million or $10 million suit to there. Doesn't matter. He's run two. He's run two ARCA races. But him and his family, they got a big business. We're gonna put him in my cup car. I don't care how competitive I am because that ten million dollars is gonna help me make a bigger profit than it would if I ran twenty-fifth in owner points and had a good driver in my car that didn't bring as much funding. I'm gonna make more money with with the guy who with Joe Smo than I would with Joe Blow. It's a problem. And how, when will it stop? When will end? I think it's only going to get worse than what we see here in 2020. Worse. We need to keep the competitive balance in this sport. We need to. It's essential. You used to be able to sell NASCAR, the most competitive sport in the world. If you didn't succeed, you wouldn't be in cup long. That's no longer the case. You know what you need nowadays? Money. That's it. Money to buy a charter and money to drive their car. That's it. And that is the biggest problem with NASCAR right now, especially in the back end of the field. You want to know why? Again, a guy like Landon Castle hasn't run many races in the last couple of years. This is why. And it's going to get worse. Going to get worse as the years go on. I beg of NASCAR, beg of them to keep to their word and keep that rule of bottom three charters for three straight years. I would even put bottom three charters for two straight years. If you're not competitive enough, we're going to take the charter and if there's somebody, we're going to put it up for sale. And if there's somebody that wants to buy it, if they offer more money than you to buy it back, then they get the charter. Now, you can get the assets from that, but you're gone completely. That charter is no longer yours. That's how it should be. It's essential we keep that. And limit the leases. Limit the amount of times a charter can be leased. And I know there's – oh, we're well, we do you're only allowed to do it once every three years. But then they made some crazy rules. And I understand the RTA is a, a powerful, powerful union because I know people don't want to call it that, but it is. But again, we need to keep the competitiveness of the back end of the field, the middle part of the field because – I don't think this is going to be, you know, in in five years, I could be having this conversation. I wouldn't even be talking about the bottom five, bottom six race cars anymore. I might be talking about the bottom 10, the bottom 12. And that's when you get into the middle part of the field with 36 cars. And that's a problem. Because when you start diluting your middle part of the field, then it's like, what are we really doing here? What are we really doing here? Why am I watching this? I'm I'm just watching rich guys who come in, buy a charter, buy their way into the Cup Series, and they're going to go race even though they're not any good? What the heck am I doing that for? I want to see good race car drivers compete at the highest level of motorsports. That's no longer the case. That's a major, major, major problem. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.